0: Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey, Amarillo is supported by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at and Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist since I was in college. He's taken care of my kids' teeth ever since they got teeth. And Dr. Sauer is a national speaker on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning and this extends to members of my own family. We were very satisfied with that approach, especially compared to metal braces, so we recommend it. You can learn more by following Shemin Dental on Facebook or visit SheminDental.com, that's S-H-E-M-E-N. Today's guest is Sister Elizabeth Ann Dockery. Sister Elizabeth Ann is one of the sisters belonging to a Catholic community known as the Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they live on a property known as Prayer Town. Now, you've probably driven by it. Prayer Town is located about 45 miles northwest of Amarillo. It's not far from Boys Ranch. But Elizabeth Ann actually lives here in Amarillo. She shares a home with a few other sisters, and it's not far from Tascosa High School. She grew up here in Amarillo. She graduated from Tascosa. And so we talk about her spiritual journey her vocation, and about the history and role of prayer town in this area, including what makes it unique within the larger Catholic tradition. So here's Sister Elizabeth Ann Dockery. Sister Elizabeth Ann Dockery, welcome to the Hey Marilla podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. It's so great to be here with you.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's an honor to have you. Uh, I'm eager to talk to you, and I, I know a little bit about you and what you do, but um, uh, I'm certainly excited to learn more. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests and just ask you how you ended up in the Amarillo area. So what brought you here in the first place?
1: The Air Force base. Okay. My family came here. My grandfather was in the Air Force and was there eight years. And when the base closed down, he decided to become a sign painter and stayed right here in Amarillo. right.
0: So he stuck around. Mm -hmm. A lot of people left Mm -hmm. at that time. It was kind of a, a major moment for Amarillo.
1: Yeah. No, they liked it here. The People were nice, and it, he thought it was an open market for the sign business and okay. fit right in.
0: A sign painter is a career that was a pretty popular one back then, and you don't see very many people who do that still today, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It is a special art. Uh, so you grew up here? yes. Uh, went to Tascosa High School, as I understand. Yes.
1: Yeah. Coronado, Austin, Tascosa.
0: Okay. When you were in high school and you're thinking, okay, um, you know, everybody starts thinking about their careers as they get closer to graduation. Did you have any idea of what, what you wanted to do?
1: Absolutely. I was a musician. I'm a double bass player. I was a multi-year All-Stater. And I just knew that first time I made All-State my sophomore year, and I made the Amarillo Symphony that same year. I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. The
0: double bass is a yes, serious instrument it is it's such a fun one to watch people play because like you gotta you gotta wield that thing. It's so huge
1: you do, but it's it it's resonates like the human voice. It's almost like an opera singer without words
0: so when you you thought okay this is this is my thing, this is what I want to do. then what did that path look like did 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 you go to college to to do anything with that? I did.
1: I had lots of full scholarships and could have gone anywhere, but I chose to go to WT. They had an amazing base teacher who I was already studying under. Absolutely loved it. WT is just such a great school, but for me, being around family was so important Mm -hmm. And I would highly recommend that school. And afterwards, I knew I needed to go somewhere else in order to further my studies. So I went to Southern Methodist University, had a full ride there, and uh, yeah, became a professional musician in every sense of the word. I was a conductor, and I played in symphonies and did a lot of solo work.
0: And you played in the Amarillo Symphony, I guess, through college? Is that how that worked? I did. Is that common? I mean, is it is it typical for most of the people on the symphony to be, like, at that professional stage? Maybe they've gotten a degree and they've, you know, kind of moved into that life. Is it
1: common for, like, a college student to be playing? Some do.
0: Does it depend on the instrument, whether they need someone on double bass? Or?
1: Yes, it depends on if there's openings, and it depends on the person's proficiency.
0: okay. I assume that your proficiency was was, was enough to get you a seat. It there.
1: was enough to get me a seat. What there. was that like? I
0: mean, did you enjoy it?
1: I absolutely loved it. It was Amarillo is so blessed to have a symphony at that level for a town this size. Mm-hmm. It's semi professional, and but I not only played in the Amarillo Symphony, I played in others. I did Albuquerque and Plainview and Waco and all over the place. I just did a lot of uh, other. I guess what we call gigs okay. as well. Played in a lot of churches, but the the level was actually r- relatively quite high for an area this this size. I'm interested in the timeline for you because
0: uh, did did you play in the Globe News Center? For the performing arts or was mm-hmm. that around after you had that
1: left? was um it was built right after i entered community okay. and it was one of my greatest sadnesses because they were having bass lockers built and i dreamed of it i was the librarian for the symphony for many years too and um uh, but it was fulfilled it wasn't meant to be that i would be the one playing okay. it.
0: okay so you ended up at, at smu and pursuing the degree what happened you know during that period
1: during that period i i had a um wouldn't say a life crisis but like most young adults you 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 start facing life's challenges with new eyes and new perspectives. And what happened to me was I, I was raised in the Church of the Nazarene um, and went to many Protestant churches. As a musician, I was paid to play and almost every Sunday in a different church um, once I made the symphony and started gigging around. and whether, There's a
0: great need for people who oh, can play like that, especially exactly. within the church. Sunday. Oh,
1: yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And even when I was in Dallas, it was the same thing. I was just always playing and always gigging. And I loved my life. I really did. I had such a great life. Um, But I went through a bit of a a crisis in that uh, my father called me, I had been in Dallas a couple of months, and he said that one of my cousins had passed away. And this was someone my age, and it was difficult, but you keep going, Mm -hmm. you know, death was not unfamiliar to me. But then the next month, another one passed away. And then the next month, my best friend died tragically. And I really felt guilty because i felt like she would have been alive if i would have just said yes that she could come stay with me um but i was going out of town and i just anyhow it was something i started struggling with the what-ifs and i grew up with a lot of faith i my grandmother was so amazing and instilled faith in us and and but, uh, you know, these things shake you up, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, what do you do when you feel responsible for somebody's death? Even though I know it wasn't my fault, but you know, there's still, it's
0: always easy to to do that. What if, you know, almost, you almost endlessly. like survival's guilt, you yeah. know, survivor's
1: guilt or something. And then, um, two months later, another person close to me passed away, was killed in the Wedgwood church shooting okay. and they're in Fort Worth and, um, a cousin and it. What it did was it really made me think about what is the purpose of my life? What it, what am I doing? What's going on? But for the first time, God felt a million miles away. Like, I, I was going to church. I was playing music. Like, everything about my life was great. But I was like, what do I do with this? Like, how do... I just didn't even have the questions or like even know how to do it. And so I was my mom. I was like, Mom, I can't find God anywhere. And all I could see was the hypocrisy. Like everywhere I went, people just seemed to be living double lives. And I'm not even talking about Christianity. I'm talking about just in general. For the first time, like my eyes were open and I started seeing all the bad stuff in the world more than I started seeing the good. Mm-hmm. And living in a, a huge city, I finally understood, like I never understood growing up when I would see movies about people in New York or these places and they would be so lonely. And I'm like, how could you feel lonely? But I grew up in Amarillo, like, <laughs> you know, people are so friendly and and I just never had that experience. And being in Dallas, I, was, I, I understood I felt so alone, even though I had friends there, but it was like the more the people, the lonelier I felt. Yeah. And um, so just kind of walking through all of this, I just slammed my fist down on the table and I was like, God, I'm gonna find you. (laughs) And so I just started researching religions just like you did, you know, all the different denominations and different religions. And it led me, it was a two year journey and it led me to Catholicism. And so I became Catholic and never even thought about becoming a sister. It like, wasn't mm-hmm. even on my radar. I was in a relationship of five years. I was planning on being married. I moved back to Amarillo to raise a family because I was like, if we're going to have kids, I want to be close to my family. And um, then one day something crazy happened. I was. Teaching, I was an orchestra director and I was at Austin Middle School at the time. I was at Austin Tascosa in the feeder schools and I was conducting the kids and the thought came to go to the post office and I just said, note to self, go to the post office. And by the end of first period, I just kept feeling this urge, like go to the post office. And by the second period, I was like, go to the post office. And I've never just had an urge to go to the post office. <laughs> I and don't I think anybody like, does, right? Yeah, I know. I was like, this is so crazy. And so there was a little gap time before I had to be at the high school. And so I ran, not literally, I got in my car and went to the post office over on Ross. And my heart's pounding and I'm sitting in the parking lot and I realize I have nothing to mail. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I remembered that a friend who helped me become Catholic had had a baby recently. And so I had these baby clothes in the back of my car, but I was going to see her in two weeks. So I didn't plan on mailing them, but I'm like shoving them to a box and getting ready to mail them. And as I'm waiting in line at the post office, this sister walks in and I tried to do this like stare, not stare thing. I was like, not moving my head, but I was like looking at her and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe there's a sister there. I've never seen any. I knew there were some in Amarillo, but I had never seen one in my entire life. It's not every day. Yeah. And, um, so she came up behind me and I barely turned my head and she just was like, hi, what's your name? (laughs) And she just started talking and talking and talking and it freaked me out. Really? and so the window opened up and I went to mail the package and I just made a beeline for the door and she kind of yelled across the post office do you have email and I was like oh she wants to email me so I have tiny handwriting but I wrote my email so small on just like a little scrap piece of paper thinking she was going to lose it but she didn't. And by the time I got back to my office at the end of the day, she had already written and said, Hey, when can you come visit us? And I'm thinking like, I have no desire to be a religious, like, why would I go to the convent? And I didn't know what she wanted. I didn't know anything about them. And at the time it was She was a member of the Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and their convent is three miles north of Boy's Ranch. Mm -hmm. And so, I was going to have to make the trip out there. They didn't have a house in Amarillo. Yeah, it's not
0: just like you can pop by. No, exactly.
1: So it was going to have to be an intentional trip. And then I was probably going to need to tell somebody, "Hey, I'm going out, you know, at night to go, you know, out in the middle of nowhere." And then they would ask a million questions, and so I stalled for two weeks, and then she kept writing, hey, you know, I'd love to see you, and I'm like, sorry, I'm busy, and then I was like, oh, I can't lie, so I finally went, and it was the biggest blessing because I felt so much joy and peace, and the sisters were just so amazing, and that night, I I was like, wow, I want to come back, when can I come back? And after several months of doing that, then my then fiance said, Hey, do you realize you spend more time with the sisters than you do me now? And I was like, Oh, maybe I have a vocation. <laughs> oh, wow. And so then I started discerning. I broke up with him after five years and my family was absolutely devastated. Everybody was so mad at me. And I was like, y'all can have him." I think I'm going to enter the convent. Um, but the, which Lord sounds just, like a
0: threat you know, that I know. somebody might make on a TV show or exactly. something, but like, and it wasn't a threat, but no. that's, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So, so, um, so I discerned and it was another two year process. And then, um, my music degree led me to become a religious sister.
0: Okay, so I have questions. Yeah. The first one that occurs to me is, is you know, you, you talk about that two-year period where you really started seeking and researching faced mm-hmm. with the questions that you had. And uh, you, you spoke about it uh, like it was a pretty natural thing, going from this Nazarene background to Catholicism and knowing what I do about both traditions. Like, that is not... A common path, mm-hmm. because you know the Nazarene Church is very squarely within the Protestant tradition, mm-hmm. and so there's a, there's a lot of steps to get past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if if you could talk a little bit about why you did that, why why your path led that way, um, and and what about the Catholic tradition? Maybe answer those questions or, or drew you in that direction.
1: Well, the first place I started was my own church of origin the church of the nazarene i just I, I started by just looking when they started who started them and that was the very first i mean just basic research that i did and saw that it was 1927 in abilene texas and then the first thing that came to mind was but what else is there you know like what came before that And so then that became my question, but what was before that? Yeah,
0: Christianity dates back a lot longer than 1927.
1: And so I was like, you know, and and I understood, and I would listen in my research to what people were saying on why Reformation was needed, and, you know, that's understandable. I mean, we're human, we're going to make mistakes or, you know, not necessarily follow God's intended path, you know, along the way sometimes, but I started becoming very fascinated with the early church fathers, Mm -hmm. and what are the early writings, and it wasn't that I was just ultra traditional or anything, but there was a real beauty. Like coming from the perspective of a musician, um, I was like, Where does all this music come from? And the vast majority of it came from the Catholic Church. You know, it's like even just looking from a I, I was taking early church music at the University of North Texas just for the fun of it, just because I wanted to. And it was just such a there's just such beauty. Um, that just draws the soul uh, to a different place, you know, that seems so much closer to God mm-hmm. than so much of uh, of the other music. And I'm like, where did that come from? And where did this all start? And so it was a combination of my music and going back to those writers and the poets and everything. And oh, and much of the associated. reparation was
0: like stripping some of that away. Yes. I mean, and, and you end up with traditions. yes. Um, like the Church of Christ, yes. you know, which doesn't use, at least traditionally, doesn't mm-hmm. use as much instrumentation. Yeah, um, and so yeah, there there is that that beauty in the Catholic Church that the Reformation kind of began to move beyond. Mm-hmm. And so I can I so totally see that mm-hmm. uh, that chain of interest there.
1: Yeah. But the early church fathers, I mean, they they were, you could tell the difference. They were people in love. They It wasn't, their writings don't sound like somebody that was just writing a history book. It was somebody that most of them, their hearts were on fire and, and there was just a real fervor that drew me in.
0: Okay. All right. My My second question is, you know, a lot of people have let's say, encountered a nun out in public. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the sisters I know are very friendly, are, are willing to talk to you, or interested mm-hmm. in your life. I don't always end up emailing with them, and, and probably you wouldn't have either. So what do you think it was about this encounter to where it, you, you didn't just feel compelled to, uh, to enter into that conversation, but like they wanted to talk to you? Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense about that?
1: Sure. This particular sister, she was kind of on the same journey that I was in that day, and that she wasn't supposed to be at the post office. And one of the sisters at the last minute asked her to go. And uh, I do believe in divine appointments. Mm -hmm. I do believe that God does have a plan and a reason for things. But in that particular instance, when the sister asked me questions, she asked, are you Catholic? I was a new Catholic, Mm -hmm. and I was newly back in town and I was stuttering with my Catholic answers and I think she could tell that I was either had either either that I had gaps in my faith mm-hmm. or that I I was new or something. And I think she genuinely wanted to just help me to be more connected.
0: Okay. And then the last question I had just you know mm-hmm. from from your story as as you've told it now is you know, having you know, started emailing with her, there's still a lot of steps before you say, Okay, I believe this is my vocation. Um mm-hmm. and, and even going out to prayer town to visit is a commitment, like mm-hmm. you said. Um, so why why do you think you felt that nudge to move the conversation further? What was that? Was it was it a compulsion? Was it like a spiritual leading? Did you see, okay, something's happening here, I need to I need to keep taking the next steps?
1: One of the things about me personally is i've always been competitive but i've always been goal oriented and i'm the type of person if i set a goal i'm gonna achieve it and i just lived my life that way despite a lot of odds growing up or whatever the circumstances i'm like gonna overcome and i'm gonna do it and one of the things i did was i originally wasn't gonna become an orchestra director i was gonna do solo work and the lord just led me to that because of my love for kids. And Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed it way more than I anticipated that I would. And I loved it. And with that pretty early on in my career, I decided I want to be a master teacher. I want to be the best for these kids that I can be and for myself. And I already had plans of growing and right away that basically happened. And I got this, Texas state award for being an orchestra director of the year. And I was very early in my career. I think it was like year five or six. And then I was like, well now what, you know, like now what, where do I go? You know, like early, early on, you're getting what you almost like an Olympic, athlete or something, an Olympian, you know, they get that gold medal, but then what comes next? Mm -hmm. And for me, even though like I could still keep growing and doing things, there was a part of me that this thought just kept coming, you know, but what else is there? What's next? And that was something that I experienced often in my life. But what else is there? I always had this longing that there was something else, and a part of me that just was missing. And I really couldn't describe it. But that question had come to me many times throughout my life, sometimes seemingly randomly. So during those two years, what happened was every time I was with the sisters, that question wasn't there. And then every time I came back here doing what I loved, being with the people I loved, that question would come back. And there was a different kind of peace when I was there, and I would I, I would just not want to leave. And then when I would come back, I felt like my heart had been left. Okay. And so it was just this ebb and flow of, of just natural peace that I was just leaving behind every time I left the convent.
0: What year did you first go there?
1: Two thousand two.
0: Two thousand two, and then when did you make your uh, your final vows?
1: My final vows were in twenty eleven. Okay,
0: and you were there throughout that process because I yes. know it's a multi year process. Two thousand four. Okay, mm-hmm. so I, I want to take advantage of of you being here and just let you describe to listeners what Prayer Town is and and who are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because I know that. Panhandle people, if they've driven to Boys Ranch, if they've driven to Dalhart, like they've gone past, they've seen the Mm -hmm. sign, and they probably always wonder, what's Prayer Town? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, where where you have spent the last, you know, 15 plus years. So I I want you to kind of explain um, who are the women there, who are the sisters, and, and what's the history of that place?
1: Prayer Town uh, that we have the name Emmanuel on there, God with us. Prayer Town is exactly that. It's a place of prayer. We have over 800 acres of ranch land um, generously donated by Oliver Bivens uh, to the diocese originally, and then it was gifted to us um, when the Amarillo Diocese was one diocese. The sisters were living in Littlefield at the time and were raising rabbits and mm-hmm. just living a life of simplicity. Uh, originally, we were founded in Arkansas, but made our way to Texas. Praise God, we got here when we could. (laughs) The sisters did. And um, whenever the land was gifted to us, Mother John Marie um, just made sure that the lord would promise her that nobody would get hurt by the rattlesnakes or that he would be able (laughs) to provide for us it was very good thinking and there was even a tornado that came and she rebuked it and it went back up and she was like well we can't have that either and so (laughs) um eventually just the sisters built with their own hands and the the help of many generous people uh, what is known as prayer town today i mean any everything from fencing to the actual buildings It literally was just a building, um, much like St. Francis. We are Franciscan. We just live a simple life. Mm -hmm. It's nothing fancy out there. We do have a retreat center. And our sisters, the numbers have grown. A lot of people say religious life is dying out, but that's not evident in our community. And we keep getting vocations. And the the place was really meant to be a, a place in the desert, you know, allured by the Lord to the desert, to be in the world, but not of the world. And what we do is we live a contemplative act of life. So when we're at home, we're very monastic, we're very contemplative. We live a lot of our time in silence And during the day when we're working and everything, and then when there's time for recreation, we will um, share and speak and sing and do all of the other things. Praise is a way of life for us. When you fall in love, you want to sing. And so if somebody didn't sing already before they came to community, it's not long before they're singing or playing instruments and all of that, do you have your
0: double bass out there?
1: I do. Do you I
0: play do. on occasion? Some, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. I'll play for Christmas and special occasions and in a cello and things like that. But, um, yeah, so we just live a simple life, um, just doing the th- normal things that people do laundry and cooking mm-hmm. and um, hosting people that uh, just need to get away from the world for a bit. So that's the contemplative part of our life, but then we're active. And so the sisters go out on ministry and live a time of activity. So they may be in Africa, they may be in Mexico or Canada or somewhere else in the world. I've been to Australia or other places. And um, then they come back and get filled up and um, just refreshed and renewed. And then they go out and then come back. And so it's the ebb and flow of contemplative, active, contemplative, active, um, so that we can just keep on keeping on and doing the Lord's work and not get so overwhelmed. Almost okay. everything that we do is spiritual in nature.
0: And I know you also, uh, in addition to the property out there, I know that uh, you also have a, a house here in Amarillo mm-hmm. that is part of that mm-hmm. that active, I guess, aspect yes. where you can come and, and it helps you minister here a little mm-hmm. bit easier without having to make the long drive. Yes. I think a lot of people might have the perspective uh, if if they've encountered nuns, whether they're Catholic or not, um, you know, often it's in an educational setting. Maybe they're teaching at a, a school or, you know, in the hospital. St. Anthony's was founded uh, by nuns, you know, 100 years ago in Amarillo. What kind of work might they see you doing locally? If if someone encounters you, you know, out in the community here, what might be the uh, the context for that?
1: There are several. One is we do a lot of parish missions or retreats or talks to various groups. And so a lot of the churches or groups associated with the Catholic Church will bring us in to give, um, share with them to really help take them to the next level. But not only uh, Catholics, but some Protestants as well, welcome us to come in and um, be able to just minister uh, to their people, just help get them renewed and maybe talk to them about prayer or whatever topic is on their heart. So the Catholic community is familiar with us doing that within the parishes. Now, the larger community, when they see us, we do prayer ministry just constantly. And so a lot of what we do is a ministry of availability. So if somebody says, my son was just in a wreck, we don't know if he's going to make it, can somebody come pray? Bam, we're right there okay. and we will be there. So people see us walk in the hospitals all the time or, you know, at different hospice places or just down the street, anywhere, whether we're in Walmart, people stop us constantly. Like, do you
0: get stopped? That's what I was all wondering. All the time,
1: all the time. And we're able to take that moment and be able to let them share what's on their heart and maybe find God in the situation. Or maybe we have surplus of something and take them to the homeless. We can sit there and, and listen to them and help them find, like, where is God in this? Or just how do I get past this hurt? Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is that they're longing you know, for. Or sharing the joys, too.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's something that struck me. I've, I've spent a little bit of time uh, at Prayer Town with you. And I, I come from a Protestant tradition, and so my experience uh, with monastics and uh, and nuns and all of that was based on what I'd seen on TV. You know, it was sort yes. of the sister act. Um, you know, those are very serious yes. ladies. They're kind of stern, mm-hmm. a little bit scary. Um, and just what I've encountered with uh, with your community is just so much joy, so much hospitality and welcoming and, like, good conversations and stuff. And I, I wonder, like, is, is that a common misconception maybe that people might have About someone in your position. And they think, oh, there's a very serious person who has given their whole life to God. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to talk to her, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, only to be surprised, I guess. Sure.
1: Most of the religious I know are really filled with joy. Um, Very few are are incredibly stern. Uh, I think that that's partially a misconception, but I also think, too, what was portrayed in movies back then was, um, reflective of the times. I know my grandfather being raised by him, he, he was what would some people would call a hard man in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, life was just different back then. And so I think there's a lot of comparing of what was then versus what is now.
0: Right. Well, my, my own great grandfather was Nazarene
1: uh-huh.
0: and very stern, yeah. very strict and, uh, has always seemed sort of joyless, you know, from yeah. from the photos and the stories I've heard. Uh, so that makes sense. There's a lot of cultural element to that, too. Yes. I, I think another thing that that I find fascinating about Prayer Town is its position within the larger story of Catholicism and that there's a charismatic element um, to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, part of your founding, in fact, uh, that sets it apart a little bit from, you know, other, other convents or... Uh, other monasteries or, or others who uh, have a vocation like yours. Should you talk a little
1: bit uh, about that? It sets us a bit, a lot of it, not just a little bit. I mean, bit. Like there are,
0: <laughs> I would say, there, there are, are sisters from all over the world mm-hmm. who come here because it's the only place they can, can combine that charismatic focus with. The, the vows that they make. Is that accurate?
1: We are the first recognized Catholic charismatic religious community within the church, but there are others now. Okay. And so we're not the only ones, but if Maybe God calls it, we were. Okay. And, and if God calls somebody to be with us, over half of our vocations are from other countries. In fact, our two recent ones in August, two of them, um, where one was from India and one's from Trinidad, and the other one was from Minnesota. So they come from all over, really just listening to the Lord and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And our way of life, what sets us apart is that we live by faith. Um, because we're not working the nine-to-five jobs with security, um, we're also not tied down so that if somebody says, We need prayer here, or this is going on that we can't be available. Mm -hmm. If we need something, we pray and the Lord provides. I can give you stories all day long about that. I mean, for instance, we needed vegetables one time, and the sisters were like, We would really love some carrots. And so they prayed for carrots and they got 10 tons of carrots donated a few days later. A farmer was just like, Hey, I have some carrots for y'all. And the sisters were like, Ah, you know, and so all winter long they had carrots. Um, I mean, he does that just so frequently, like he doesn't just provide he provides an abundance. And so Mm -hmm. our whole way of life is saying, God, I'm going to do your work. I'm all in, you can use me in every capacity that you want, whether it be using the gifts of the Spirit, or just my will, anything in between, Um, I will show up, if you will show up for me, too. And he always does. Hmm. And that's scary to some people. You know, not everybody can just step out on the water and walk, you know, so easily. Some people doubt and um, or they need that security. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with hoping for security or hoping that your feet are remaining on solid ground. Well, and that's part of your own story. Having gone
0: through that period of doubt. Exactly. That's where you landed.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, there's. We make our our plans and God laughs and shows us His and the days always end up beautiful but unexpected.
0: One thing I'm aware of, I've recently become aware of, is is that there's a building project out at Prayer Town, because I know that uh, you know, of course, the the buildings out there were built by the sisters over the years back since like late seventies, uh, and that that you have a need for. Sort of a modest expansion out there Mm -hmm. you talked about the number of people who keep coming can you tell me a little bit about that uh that program that campaign that's going going on right
1: now sure we have a campaign called project emmanuel aging in place When the sisters built Prayer Town, they were young whippersnappers and didn't think about the fact that one day they would need wide hallways and to be able to get wheelchairs in the bathroom or anything like that. And um, our roads are sand and a little bit of rock, and there's very little about Prayer Town that is friendly for somebody with special needs.
0: Well, they were not experienced in construction either. No. Right? I mean, it's... Even even building it in the first place, regardless of the design, was mm-hmm. um, was a little iffy, or at least was a learning process, I guess it
1: was a learning process amazingly enough, the builders that have come and inspectors they've all said, "Wow, y'all y'all actually built this to better quality than we would normally build, hmm. which was amazing, a compliment um that they were so thorough, but uh one of the other challenges that we have, not only that are the sisters, some of them getting older, we do have a lot of young sisters, but our ministry has expanded so vastly that we really just don't have the availability to be able to pull the entire community and say, okay, let's try building another project. Mm-hmm. But anytime you start getting into um, ADA uh, compliance or anything. It's much better to have the experts do it. So it's going to cost us more money. So this is huge for us, especially because we live by faith. Um, we we rely on people giving us food and things yeah. like that. And unfortunately, food's not going to build the project. So we do have this capital campaign going. We have 1.7 of 3 million that we need okay. in order to build a chapel that will be um, wheelchair accessible along with uh, aging in place rooms, which will help our sisters to be able to do just that. Uh, recently, we had two sisters coming into Amarillo to do some work at a church, and they hit a deer. And I couldn't help but think, "Wow, here they are, young sisters in their late twenties, early thirties, and they could be the ones needing a facility yeah. like that, one well, neck it, or anything."
0: We we think about you know that when when someone is reaching their um, you know, their their last years. They want to be home. Mm-hmm. They want to be with their people. And, you know, that's the same uh, within your community. And so mm-hmm. you don't want someone who has lived at Prairtown, you know, since 1980 or something, get sick enough to need a wheelchair and not be able to spend her remaining days out there. Exactly. You, you want to accommodate that. And, and that, that feels meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Just to have the, the doorways the right width and the hallways the right width and you know someone in a wheelchair can can make their way around.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're such a huge part of our ministry. Oh my gosh, they are the most amazing prayer warriors. But not only that, they've got the wisdom. That <laughs> it's just such a blessing to have that you know they're a treasure house that we can always go to and and they help us so much. We we do want them to be home.
0: This is the uh, the week of Christmas um, when we're recording this, when it's being released also. I, I wanted to ask, what's Christmas like out at Prairtown?
1: We go all out. We... Love to celebrate. Do you That's, like have
0: the inflatable Santa Clauses out in front of the uh, the buildings? No, but like?
1: that would be cool because we have a little too much wind. Somebody wants to donate it. Those. Would,
0: if they donated it right, you could. Well,
1: they would probably end up at Boys Ranch or <laughs> <laughs> back in Amarillo because of the wind. Go over the river do. there. Exactly. Um, no, one of the great things about our community uh, and about stepping back and living the contemplative life is you really appreciate celebrations. And so we have a full music team, um, in fact, teams of sisters that are already preparing, practicing, and we do something special where because our community is so international, We and we minister to so many international people, I mean, it's so many cultures and and
0: even languages. here in our yes right?
1: everywhere everywhere and so we do caroling before we start our our uh, midnight mass mm-hmm. and so we um spend that time singing and let's see we have we do f- the philippines india um, poland africa I mean, all the different countries that we have sisters or that we minister to that they're familiar with the language. Um, Mexico, we have them all singing um, okay. in the in the native tongues and like uh, especially carols. But everybody sings. Everybody participates. And the, really the diversity comes out. But it's so beautiful how then um, before we start Midnight Mass, one of the sisters who used to be a sacred dancer um, brings in baby Jesus dressed like Mary. And so just in the midst of all of the international aspect of it. Here comes Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. the center of it all. And then we start our midnight mass and it's just glorious. And we do all the readings. And of course, afterwards we have a party. It's like, you know, 1am and the sisters are eating their chocolate and, mm-hmm. you know, snacks and hot chocolate or whatever you want. And then we get up super early and do it all again.
0: Okay. <laughs> that that does sound like a, a, a fun experience. I... I, I want to close this by asking about prayer town um, and the sisters and their relationship to Amarillo. Like I know that, you know, that, that mother John Marie started in Arkansas and then kind of found her way to Texas and Littlefield and then, then up to Amarillo and Amarillo has been part of the story, you know, other than, a, I guess, about the first 10 years, I guess, mm-hmm. of, uh, of what she was doing. And what has that, relationship, I guess, with this city or this area meant uh, to your community?
1: We are like a hidden force in Amarillo is what I would like to say, because when I think about all of these different, not only nonprofits, but our leaders and just across the gamut, across the board, people of all faiths. They're, they're coming to us and saying, will you pray for this? We're going to start this. Will you pray for that? Will you be a part of this? Will you show up for this? And we have been prayer warriors for so much going on. Uh, Within not just Amarillo but within the entire area, you know something happens or something good happens. Even we rejoice with the community, we mourn with the community with families. The sisters are really good. Anytime you know they see the news and something comes up, good or bad, they're on it. You know they're praying um, before the Lord, and and really it's it's amazing to see how prayers have been answered and come forth. Sometimes the people know it, sometimes they don't. A lot of our donors are people that we. No, call us and ask us will you pray for this person will you pray with this for this family will you pray for this business that just caught fire and they lost everything Um, and so we're really behind all of that and some people would never even know it Hmm. you know for all these years it's just you know that spiritual connection behind the scenes
0: for the last few weeks of the year, Hey Amarillo is highlighting a local nonprofit thanks to the sponsorship of SKP Creative. This week's nonprofit is the 100 Club of the Texas Panhandle. This local nonprofit provides assistance to the families of local police officers and firefighters who are killed in the line of duty. Now, the executive director of the 100 Club, Suzanne Talley, was a guest on this podcast back in January of 2022, and she explained how the 100 Club responds immediately with financial aid when tragedy strikes. They work among the top 26 counties of the Texas Panhandle, and they've also helped provide life-protecting equipment for law enforcement agencies. The organization is open to anyone. It's funded by individual and corporate membership, and you can join today at texaspanhandle100club.org. Thanks again to SKP Creative for sponsoring this nonprofit highlight. Okay, I'm back with Sister Elizabeth Ann of Prayer Town. Uh, This is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes dozens of artifacts from Old Tascosa, the primary trading center in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, located very near to Prayer Town, Uh and, and that was in the decade before Amarillo even existed. And it was known for hosting all kinds of cowboys and gamblers and outlaws and uh, a very interesting place. Um, that Oldham County site is actually just a few miles from from Prayertown. You can learn more and see some of those artifacts at panhandleplains.org. Okay. The first question is, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for?
1: I hope that even though we continue to expand, that we retain the somewhat small-town feel. I don't want to lose the friendliness. Mm -hmm. Um, You see that everywhere and the excellence. But my other hope is that more people that go off and receive higher training would come back and help make Amarillo even better. That we would see more natives returning Mm -hmm. to help build the city that... Where they got their roots. I
0: mean, that's part of your story, too. Yes, absolutely. Other than wind, which I know you're familiar with, <laughs> what does this area have too much of?
1: I want to say car washes and Walmarts. <laughs> I'm okay. totally about supporting the local person, you know, the small business mm-hmm. owner.
0: And we do, have, we do have a lot of car washes. That may be also a wind-related issue that's with the, the dirt. And, yes. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. What does this area not have enough of?
1: Facilities for people with disabilities to recreate. Okay. I was thinking of my mom who recently passed away. She was real wheelchair-bound for about three years, and I think she would have loved to just be able to go to the park and swing, you know, hmm. do something simple. Um, you know, even if it's just a swing or something, you know, just someplace where um, they can do the simple joys like everybody else. All
0: right. I uh, I have seen some places like that. Uh in larger yeah. cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it has been slow in coming yeah. to Amarillo. When you talk to outsiders about Amarillo, what do you talk about?
1: The kindness of the people is always first and foremost. For me, I talk about the affordability because often people are looking for a place to move and I offer Amarillo yeah. <laughs> readily. Um I also talk about the beautiful skies and of course Paladora Canyon and the wonderful beef that we have.
0: Okay. What's your favorite local neighborhood?
1: Mine, where we live off of I-40 and Western behind Tascosa because we have the best neighbors. Every single one around us, they look out for each other, they help each other out, you get a little food, they bring it over, they take care of your mail if you need them to, they talk to each other almost every day. I We have the best neighborhood.
0: What's it like for your neighbors living on the same street as, you know, a... Uh, a house full of nuns like does does that does that impact anything that they do yeah I, mean, I can imagine them bringing over you know cookies and stuff like that but are they always like i, I better i better keep my my, my lawn mode i better keep things looking good because
1: that's funny that you bring that up because actually our neighbor's a landscaper okay well then <laughs> he takes care of our yard <laughs> fine. That's, that's fine no um i They've never said anything other than that they're glad that um, we keep things quiet Mm -hmm. and we're respectful and, and everything else. You know, I think that they're actually glad that, um, that we're there to be able to help even help them if they need it. Okay.
0: What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck?
1: My favorite restaurant is tacos Garcia. I just love what Stephanie and Tino Frausto are doing over there. And it's, Always been a great place, but I think it's getting even better.
0: Do you go out to eat
1: very often? Not very often. I'm in mission advancement, so sometimes donors will take us out okay um i would I would think that given the family. choice
0: you might you know all of you might choose to eat together in your own community and it's hard for you know 30 nuns to walk into a, a restaurant <laughs> and a table.
1: yeah occasionally it happens but no um I live in a smaller house of 5 and most of the time we do prefer to eat at home.
0: Yeah, okay. What's your favorite coffee shop?
1: The Panhandle Sisters, they're Franciscans in the town of Panhandle. They have their own coffee shop. Do they
0: really? I didn't and know. And it's that,
1: called though. Coffee Break and it is the best coffee with the best company.
0: Okay. I'm going to have to go by there yes. next time I'm in going through Panhandle.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay.
0: When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch?
1: Last year. I took a sister. She was getting ready to leave. She had lived with me for a long time and never been out there. And I was like, what? We need to go out there and had a blast. Okay. Well,
0: that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience?
1: For one thing, the arts. Emerald has amazing arts. But the other thing, if you see a sister, um, there is a difference between a nun and a sister. A nun you will not see because they're in the cloister, but mm-hmm. a, a religious in a habit would be a sister. Um, they are very friendly um, and we have several groups of them and I would like to endorse them not only my own sisters disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ but also the Franciscans of Mary Immaculate and the cappuccino sisters on the eastern side of town okay. um, and then the Panhandle Franciscans they all do great work They're Panhandle sisters um, they have a coffee shop and they do retreat work we're all available you know if somebody needs something Um the Franciscans of Mary Immaculate and the cappuccinas help a lot of the poor people with food or sewing needs or different things that they have. And so don't be scared if you see a sister and, and uh, we certainly appreciate your support.
0: Right. Sister Elizabeth Ann Dockery, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Elizabeth Ann for the interview. You can find out more about Prayer Town and the sisters by visiting disciplesofthelordjesuschrist.org. Also, look for a magazine feature I've written about the convent in the upcoming January-February 2023 issue of Brick and Elm. It's coming up in uh, just a couple of weeks. I really enjoyed my time on that property. Uh, I loved hearing from Elizabeth Ann and some of her other sisters there. So uh, look forward to that. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode, and thanks to sponsors and Dental, SKP Creative, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Whitten. This has been episode 279. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.